You are tuned to CICK News on 93.9 FM in Smithers, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m. CICK News is your news source for regional and provincial news with a local perspective. It's hosted by Dan Messick and myself, Pamela Hassan. Find and follow CICK News online at smithersradio.com and frequencynews.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. CICK News is funded by the Community Radio Fund of Canada and the Government of Canada. You know, there were Latin writers and Greek writers that were banned in their times. And there'll be somebody banned tomorrow, guaranteed, you know, to say nothing of all the book burnings. The famous Library of Alexandria, Sarah Vanola burning the books in Italy, and just on and on and on. It's just something we really have to be vigilant against, we feel. Welcome to CICK News for Thursday, February 22nd. Freedom to Read Week is back. It's taking place from February 18th until the 24th. And it's an annual event that encourages Canadians to think about and to reaffirm their commitment to intellectual freedom. As of 2024, Freedom to Read Week entered a new phase led by Library and Archives Canada, the Canadian Urban Libraries Council, and the Ontario Library Association in partnership with the Book and Periodical Council. 2024 marks 40 years of Freedom to Read Week, and so I'm speaking to a number of libraries in the North, as well as School District 54 Superintendent Mike McDermott, about the importance of intellectual freedom in schools and in our libraries. First, we'll start off with Ruth Cooper from Hazelton Library. Ruth, would you tell me what Freedom to Read Week is? Freedom to Read Week is uh, designed to promote people to read lots of diverse things, but primarily to try to counteract uh, efforts at censorship and limiting what people are allowed to read. Yeah, and I guess, do you know, Ruth, what some of the history of why certain books have been banned? Do you know kind of the history of of why that started? Well, um, many books are banned because they're uh, people who want them banned claim they're pornographic, which they seldom are. Pornography has a very specific definition. But in um, some places, especially in school libraries, but in other public libraries and stuff too, they can be challenged if they're considered to be obscene, which has a a looser sort of definition, or to be offensive in some way. A lot of times it's the language that's used within the book. A lot of things are banned because they have sexual content or implied sexual content and that sort of thing. They're usually challenges are put up on the basis that it's protecting someone from something dangerous. Why do you think libraries matter now when there's so much information online? What's unique and, and special about libraries, in your opinion? Well, one of the things is it's one of the few remaining absolutely free and inclusive, welcoming public spaces. So you don't have to be able to afford an internet connection. You know, it's it's difficult up here in our area. Not everyone can even get an internet connection. But I think one of the special things that public libraries do is we serve our patrons. So you can come in with a question 
and we can ask clarifying questions to help hone us in on finding exactly what it is that you want. I don't know if you've ever had a frustrating Google search where you type in something and you get something completely different, but human beings, you know, we interact with each other. We can suggest alternatives. We can borrow things from other libraries if we don't have them physically present in our own. We provide good service. Absolutely. My last question, Ruth, do you have a favorite book that has in the past been banned? I like in the display are the ones I think are a little bit crazy. Like the Prince Rupert School Board banned Yertle the Turtle by Dr. Zeus. And there's a potato on a bike by Elise Gravel that's a children's board book. It wasn't banned because of anything offensive in the book, but someone took offense to the author herself. Mm. And consequently, all of her books were banned from the Jewish libraries in Montreal. Mm. So it's those things that I think just, they, it's awful that they've been banned by such a narrow point of view, but it, it actually, I find it pretty funny that people are... <laughs> concerned about a potato on a bike. We put up a display every year and we promote the books. We encourage people to come down. And people do come down and they'll say, oh my gosh, I loved that book. Why, what is it ever banned? And, or they'll pick one up they hadn't read. And that's our challenge to people. Uh, you know, who doesn't like reading a book that's deemed so dangerous it shouldn't be read? You know, that's a challenge. I think that's the ironic thing is Usually when people push to have a book banned, it attracts attention to that book. And so then it becomes more widely read than it perhaps would have been. Thank you so much, Ruth. I really appreciate you speaking with me today. Thanks for the call. For context in Ruth's interview, she mentioned Elise Gravel's books being removed from Jewish libraries in Montreal. The library was later accused of censorship after it moved her children's books to closed shelves earlier this month over social media posts by Gravel, criticizing the Israeli government's attack on Gaza. But Gravel's books were recently returned to shelves, and Gravel's lawyer said that they sent a cease and desist letter to those who accused the author of being an anti-Semite, which led to her books being removed in the first place. He says it's contrary to a library's mission to censor writers over political views. So my name is Lou Allison, and I'm a library assistant here at the Prince Rupert Public Library. What's unique about the Prince Rupert Freedom to Read Week display and the approach that Prince Rupert Library takes to Freedom to Read Week? Well, it's always been really important here. So most of the initiative that we've done is is a big display. We always have a lot of books through time with these sort of uh, slips in them that say why they were banned. And it attracts a lot of attention. Every year people will stop and look because they didn't realize that in its day, Huckleberry Finn was banned or that Black Beauty was once banned in South Africa because of the word black in the title. This kind of thing to to highlight that this is an issue as old as reading the censorship of titles for political agenda or for, you know, political social propriety, you know, all the reasons that books are banned. So people are, 
I'm always astonished at how, how interested people are in that and also how outraged. So for us, that helps people to become aware of the importance of, of this topic and also just how ancient it is. Now, what do you believe to be maybe some of the underlying dangers when we begin to ban books? The, the danger, of course, is a narrowed worldview. And then people are more prey to forces that don't necessarily have their best interests at heart. So, you know, political despots or groups that, that might be racist or ideology-driven, if people do not understand the sources of where that philosophy and those ideas come from, or they've never heard an opposing point of view, how could they have the resources to make up their own minds? But the other thing I wanted to, to mention, Pam, on a less serious note, is that it's not just defending books that are banned, although that is the big thrust of the Freedom to Read Week. But it's freedom to read in general. Libraries do not set themselves up to be the purveyors of taste or judge, you know, a certain kind of book is trashy or people shouldn't be reading romances or they shouldn't be reading true crime or, you know, my personal taste might be that a book is formulaic. That would never be a reason why we wouldn't want to have it on the shelf. What about the person who enjoys it? And there are so many reasons to read. There are so many things that people get out of reading. Leisure, learning, historical perspective, just for fun, you know, books about art. I mean, and in general, libraries want to defend that diversity of material on their shelves. What books on the Prince Rupert Library shelves that are banned do you feel like are uh, are maybe some of your personal favorites or ones that you want to expose more people to well i know i personally like to promote a lot of the graphic novels and there's one by jillian tamaki that was illustrated by her cousin this one summer that it was banned because it had mature content and i think an lgbtq element and it's a it's a wonderful book we would promote them Huckleberry Finn was once banned, and I think it is the most amazing book. Yeah. So, and I don't know, it's a it's a paraphrase, but Isaac Asimov is reputed to have said, a banned book is a book worth reading. So, <laughs> Ruth and I from Hazleton spoke about that, about how actually banning a book really seems to give it new traction. <laughs> oh, many authors, apparently, back to Mark Twain, when he was told that, Mark, that both books, Tom Sawyer and... Huck Finn were banned. He was thrilled because he knew his sales were going to go up. Absolutely. If I was an author, and, I would say my book was banned. <laughs> and one of the things like, you know, Shades of Grey, do you remember those books? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she she was laughing all the way to the bank. And Peyton Place. Do you remember that old book? I, it was banned for salacious content. Oh. I just thought it was too spicy. And then it spent 59 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> it probably would have sunk without a trace if it hadn't been for the poor. So yeah, it can actually bring books into prominence. Yeah. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book, The Gulag Archipelago, was banned before it was published in, in Russia. So he had to smuggle it out. And then it achieved prominence on the world stage because of that. Yeah. So... Yeah. These books might not have enjoyed the prominence they ended up in popular culture if they hadn't been, you know, hadn't had the 
the long finger pointed at them. Yeah. So one of the things that, that we have this year is a patron has lent us a very beautiful art piece that she made. She visited the University of Leuven Library in Belgium that was burned by the German army in 1940, mm -hmm. where they burned 300,000 books. And they have created a museum with a lot of those burnt books. They're just charred blocks in glass display cases with red seals. And she was so moved by this. And she still thinks about it. And it still matters to her so much. She She's so dedicated to, you know, intellectual freedom that she made this really beautiful art piece that's about two feet square. And when she saw her display, she said, do you want to borrow my piece? And I said, sure. And then she brought it in. And I was like, oh, my God, can't believe you're lending us that. Yeah. So it's very cool when people, when pa that's a patron, get aboard this and say it's important to them as well. But, you know, there were Latin writers and Greek writers that were banned in their times. And there'll be somebody banned tomorrow, guaranteed, you know, to say nothing of all the book burnings. The famous Library of Alexandria and Sarah Vanola burning the books in Italy and just on and on and on. It's just something we really have to be vigilant against, we feel. Absolutely. I'm pretty passionate about it. Yeah, you are, and I appreciate I just, it. <laughs> my throat just closed up. I'm sure the other uh, people told you the same thing. We feel, libraries feel very strongly about this because we think it's people's right to read what they want. And other people shouldn't be allowed to tell them not to. It's pretty simple as that. Absolutely. Lou, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Well, I I appreciate the conversation as well. Thank you. Thank you so much to Lou for speaking with me. You can obviously hear the passion in her voice about intellectual freedom, as well as freedom to read and the importance of historical books. If you're a listener in Prince Rupert, make sure to check out Lou's display at the library. It includes not only the painting by Ellen Witherly, but also a cage that Lou's husband built in which they have put a number of the banned books. One of the more common places that you hear about uh, books being challenged or potentially banned, not necessarily in British Columbia so much, but in other provinces, and more especially in the United States, is in schools. So I reached out to School District 54's Superintendent Mike McDermott to speak a little bit about the protocols in place for when a resource in a school is challenged. So we're speaking about Freedom to Read Week. Has School District 54, have you had many requests to ban a book? No, we haven't. Now, I think it's fair to say we've heard some concerns about resources in general from uh, the last, would say, the last couple of years. I think given the current climate, there is a lot of misinformation circulating out there. But specific to books, no, we haven't had a very specific concern come in. Okay. Now, it is it is seeming to become a little more more. I feel like. It's a topic of discussion. You're seeing a lot, we're seeing a lot of talk about banned books online. Now it is Freedom to Read Week, so it is obviously much more in the forefront. But what is the district's protocol on the challenging of a resource? Well, as I mentioned before, we're aware that, you know, in some, some parts of the community, there are concerns about 
resources or topics that are covered in the school system. Again, a lot of it isn't really accurate, and we're happy to help educate people in that regard. But the board recently has undertaken developing a policy and process for the review of resources, just in the event that we do have someone that wants to challenge one of the resources that uh, we have in one of our schools there's a mechanism for them to to bring that to the board, for them to look at the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to encourage intellectual freedom and diverse books for students in SD54? Well, you know, it is part of our our curriculum, really, these days to teach about things, you know, like uh, critical thinking. You know, those are important core competency skills that uh, we're trying to impart upon students. And part of that is, you know, having reading resources that challenges worldviews that, you know, does a job of, you know, seeing the world from different eyes, those kinds of things. So it's important for students, I think, greater understanding of the world to have different views of the world. Thank you, Mike, for taking the time to speak with me and to join in this conversation about Freedom to Read Week. Happy to. Thanks very much. The last interview I'd like to share about Freedom to Read Week is with the Smithers Head librarian, Wendy Wright. Wendy is an absolute wealth of knowledge and resources when it comes to freedom to read as well as intellectual freedom and in fact can expound upon elements of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms quite quickly when it comes to freedom of speech as well as intellectual freedom. And now here's Wendy. My name is Wendy Wright and I'm the director of the Smithers Public Library. Okay, time to speak with me. We're talking about Freedom to Read Week. So It's an annual event that encourages Canadians to think about and reaffirm their commitment to intellectual freedom. Is there ever a case in your experience that you've felt that a book was ever truly dangerous? Hmm, truly dangerous. That would depend on who's reading it. Mm -hmm. And not only who's reading it, but what stage of life they're in, what frame of mind they're in, and what other knowledge they have at that point in time. Yeah. You know, how someone, what someone does with a book, what someone thinks about a book or feels about a book is so subjective. It's so individual. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had a terrible experience with a book that I read as a child. I read The Shining when I was nine years old. <laughs> Does that mean it's a bad book? No, it's perfect for older people who love horror. It's a brilliant horror masterpiece. It was a bad book for me because I had nightmares for the next five years and, you know, just kept seeing dead bodies in the bathtub and it was it was awful and it was really traumatic. Yeah. But but that's on me, not the book. Right. And I'd love to go into it a little more with you. You've got a great infographic here. But the reasons why books are banned, a lot of the terms often used are decency, obscenity, explicit material, that sort of thing. So why is it important to challenge that notion when these words are being used to 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 try to ban a book? Well, there are, there are quite a few reasons. For one thing, people are using terms that don't really technically apply. For example, what we're seeing more and more, we've seen in the past, but more and more in the last few years is people accusing certain books of being pornographic. Yes. They say it's child pornography. They say it's cartoon pornography. Mm-hmm. And the fact is those are... 
They are just simply not true. So, for example, last February, during Freedom to Read Week, right here in British Columbia, someone made a call to the RCMP in Chilliwack and said that the Chilliwack school had child pornography Mm -hmm. in the library. And the RCMP took it very seriously. And they sent an investigator with many years of experience dealing with pornography and child pornography to investigate these books. And they said, this is not true. These books may be offensive to some people, Mm -hmm. but they do not meet the definition of pornography. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, really important to take terms like that and accusations like that, obscene, pornography and so forth with a huge, huge grain of salt because almost they are almost never true. Now, if you do want to see the kinds of materials that are illegal in Canada, yeah. uh, you'd better have a strong stomach mm-hmm. because uh, banned books have been a lifelong fascination for me and I have a really hard time reading the list of titles that are deemed obscene right. and and illegal to be in Canada. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's actually a published list on the Freedom to Read website because the Canada Customs stops materials at the border that are illegal in Canada by because of those specific laws and they're listed and if you take a look at that list you will not find anything in common with anything you would ever find in a Canadian library. Now just kind of referring to this here we're talking about banned books in Canada because I mean I remember when this felt like a very this felt like a very American discussion to have (laughs) did it not you know and it's it, it you know whether or not it's bled into it but social media an idea exists it's a kernel and then it just catches like wildfire especially something like this so i guess can you kind of tell me what type of content is being challenged and then maybe the trend as well that we're seeing with certain content in books in Canada that are being challenged. Sure. So I guess the the best way to put it into context is to just briefly compare what's happening in Canada to what's happening in the States. Mm-hmm. So the States uh, for the last several years, each year they've broken a new record in the highest number of book bans and challenges ever. Mm-hmm. And the main materials that are being challenged there are anything with LGBTQA2S plus content or creator, mm-hmm. and the same with black content characters, creators, and anything with sexuality in it. Now, often with a lot of those books, both in the States and Canada, if they're sex ed kids, sex ed books for kids or for teens, the difference is the newer books that that contain multiple genders. Yes. Those are the ones being challenged. They don't say that. They just say it it has sex, you know, so we're challenging it. But the older books that only talk about boys and girls and men and women, no one is challenging those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's telling as well. Mm-hmm. Now that's in the states. In Canada, what's being challenged more than anything else are books by and about LGBTQA2 as plus people. Yeah. So anything um, nonfiction like what I just described, you know, sex ed books for for kids, for middle grade for teens, any fiction along those lines, picture books with an acceptance of different family constellations, different genders, 
anything like that, that's being challenged. And in fact, what's happened in Canada is the number of annual challenges and the average number of annual challenges in Canadian libraries has risen in by 62% from 2021 to 2022. It's, it's awful. And and of that 62%, and it's had an increase of 30% of challenges to LGBTQA2S plus materials. So that is the same as what we're seeing in the States. What we're not seeing is anywhere near the same level of basically anti-Black right. challenges. The interesting thing is here in Canada, we see challenges from right across the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. So the, until the last couple of years, the most challenged books in Canadian libraries were actually the polar opposite of the state, because most people were challenging books for containing racist or outdated stereotypes, right. especially of Indigenous people. I mean, that's the bulk of the challenges we're getting. And we still do get lots of them. Yeah. The difference is that suddenly this huge spike in LGBTQ uh, challenges, and that is, uh, you touched on before, social media. Mm -hmm. This new spike in pride-related materials is really due to the same phenomenon that happened in the States during the pandemic of organized groups meeting each other on the internet, usually through Facebook, mm -hmm. finding that they had there were other people out there who had the same values, the same concerns, and then banding together to make their voice heard en masse. Mm -hmm. And when they originally banded over things like mask mandates, yeah. vaccination mandates in Canada, the, the trucker convoy, the freedom convoy, and once those things were over or rescinded, they realized they had this collective power and collective voice. Mm -hmm. And so they, they turned to other shared interests or concerns. Yeah. And this is when we started to get people sharing huge lists of books, sometimes dozens, sometimes hundreds of books, mainly about LGBTQ2S plus people being shared among those internet groups. They have lists that on their websites you can just download as form letters to just fill in yep. the blanks and send off, sharing videos from their leaders and members encouraging each other to do this. But the new phenomenon is hundreds of people sending in lists with dozens of books almost all of which they have never even read. So what is the protocol then? When someone wants to ban or challenge a book, what is the protocol? Sure. So the person can come into the library and they will they can ask for a request for reconsideration form. When when we give them that, we're also going to include copies of all of our policies that explain what we collect in our collection, why we collect it, who we collect it for, the statements that we've endorsed, like Section 2B of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is about freedom of expression, Article 19 of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, you know, which is the, it, it gives you the right to, to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas. All of our policies that clearly state the framework for why we have this book. Mm -hmm. So the hope is that people will be able to place that item that they're un they're displeased with into a larger concept of what libraries are trying to do. And then if they still feel that way, they can fill out the form. We do 
we we're not going to consider something that someone hasn't even read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry, that's just yeah. Yeah, we have better things to do with our time. So <laughs> sorry if that's a bit glib, but really, no, come on, guys. So so anyway, read the book, fill out what you're upset by. Mm-hmm. We want page numbers. We want quotes. We want you to be thoughtful about it because the fact is, I mean, one of the one of the last one of the most recent requests for reconsideration I did, it took me eight hours, yeah. eight hours of staff time. I read the book, I read the the request for reconsideration. I thought about those complaints mm-hmm. and concerns as I read the book. I looked, uh, I researched the book, I read reviews of it, I I looked up the publisher's suggested age group, I read interviews, I read criticisms, and I read the awards it had won, and then I composed a letter explaining all of those and put it within the framework of our policies and put all of that together. It took eight hours. It's not inconsiderable. And so when people are sending in lists of 65 books, sorry, that's not the way it's going to work. That doesn't work. And now, you know, we've been talking about groups of people who want to ban books as 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 if it's kind of one amorphous group, but it's really not because sometimes it's not a book, it's an author. Yes. Right. And as you said, it used to be books that maybe had very outdated terminology in it, notions and whatnot, and that it's people wanted to maybe not perpetuate those thoughts, I guess. Right. right? Can you talk a little bit about between the author and their work, the author's life, the author, especially given the time that they grew up? What do you what are your thoughts on that on an author being banned for? Someone like Roald Dahl, someone like Dr. Seuss, someone like that. What are your thoughts on on those sort of discussions? That That is absolutely against public libraries' policy on intellectual freedom. Mm-hmm. There, there should be really, there should be no censorship based on what someone did in their life. Why would you deprive yourself and others of the good things that they produced? Yeah. Why would you take something that has absolutely nothing to do with whatever behavior the author did or other writings they did of concern to you. And it, that's cutting cutting off your nose to spite your face. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, absolutely not. For example, we've had uh, a few people back when the Bill Cosby trial was happening. They found a beginning reader in our children's section. It's for very young children. It was part of the Little Bill, I think, Little Bill series. Okay, I don't know. And it's all black characters. Yeah. And it had it was a beginning reader with a great message great diverse representation of characters, well-written for the intended age group, had a good moral, and people wanted us to remove it because Bill Cosby was on trial. So what six or seven-year-old, well, more likely five or six-year-old, is going to know anything about that trial when they're reading this story about how to be a good friend? And what does that have to do with anything? No. Now here in Smith, so Freedom to Read Week. I know that you take it very, you take it very seriously. I still have my my water bottle. Yep, I have that <laughs> a sticker like that on my water bottle. Yay. I read banned books. It says, and, as Wendy's shirt says right now, which you proudly showed me. And you're very passionate about this. So, mm-hmm. what is it for Smithers that people can get out of this week at our library here? And I guess lastly, why does it matter to you? 
Okay, well, here at the library, uh, Melissa has put together some fantastic displays. We have them all around the library. We have an interactive display in the adult nonfiction section where it has pictures of banned books, and you can flip them over to learn more about why they were banned or what the accusations or allegations were against them. In our teen section, we have a display of banned books, a bunch of buttons for people to take. At the front desk, there's a contest. So for Freedom to Read Week has a different poster each year. And this this year, they have a great poster that's also a guessing game because they've done uh, stylized interpretations of some of the most frequently banned and challenged books. And there are nine of them. So if you can guess what any of those books are, write them down on the form we have at the front desk and enter in, in and the person who guesses the most will get a prize and then in the children's section we have something similar we have a match the book to the picture of the band book right. so it, we have five or six banned books that with characters that and images that most kids should recognize and you can match them up and enter again for a draw we have a bunch of banned books we have t-shirts buttons mugs book bags all sorts of fun things and in the front entrance when you come in you'll also see a display of banned uh, banned and challenged books and a bunch of them for you to take home if you want actually some of those banned books that i noticed in the front were some of my favorite childhood reads yes so like what i want to oh, know the witches anything by world <gasps> the witch is yeah. really well i've got a copy here because <sighs> did you know that this book uh, people tried to ban it from muheim elementary and from the smithers public library what was the reason it was too scary it gave some children nightmares mm -hmm. i would have been one of those kids i remember my grade three teacher read us dracula and i was so afraid that i got excused and i got to stay in the library reading something else <laughs> each time so i can relate i don't like scary stories either yeah. But a couple of kids in a Muheim class had nightmares when their teacher was reading The Witches. And so a group of parents came and demanded that it be pulled from the Muheim library and classroom. Yeah. And then they came to the Smithers Public Library Board and tried to have it removed from this library. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it every year. And I love doing this week with you. Was there anything that I didn't ask that you want people to know in this interview at all? Well, I guess the last thing to say from a library perspective on the subject is that the library does not actually endorse all of the views and perspectives and ideas that are in the library. We have about 35 to 40,000 books mm -hmm. in this building and a lot of them contradict each other and that's the way it's supposed to be. So just because the library has something doesn't mean we're promoting it or we think that it's true or we think it's good and everyone should read it. What we do promote is the freedom for everyone to access whatever they want to for whatever reason and then make up their own mind how they feel about it beautiful thank you so much for speaking with me my pleasure <laughs> Before I end today's newscast on Freedom to Read Week, I want to share an excerpt from a story that Wendy took me to the children's section of the library after our interview was done and actually read aloud to me. Wendy thought that this was an important part of a story to share because conversations about intellectual freedom as well as the right to be exposed to a book and who should be exposed at what age and what part of their life can divide a lot of people. She thought that reading an excerpt from The Grasshopper in the Road about groupthink and following trends 
and only being able to see things like art and books from one side and one perspective is so damaging. Here's that excerpt now. It's Grasshopper on the Road by Arnold Lobel, and it is the chapter called The Club. Grasshopper walked quickly along the road. He saw a sign on the side of a tree. The sign said, morning is best. Soon Grasshopper saw another sign. It said, three cheers for morning. Grasshopper saw a group of beetles. They were singing and dancing. They were carrying more signs. Good morning, said Grasshopper. Yes, said one of the beetles. It is a good morning. Every morning is a good morning. The beetle carried a sign. It said, make mine morning. This is the meeting of the We Love Morning Club, said the beetle. Every day we get together to celebrate another bright, fresh morning. Grasshopper, do you love morning? Asked the beetle. Oh yes, said Grasshopper. Hooray, shouted all the beetles. Grasshopper loves morning. I knew it, said the beetle. I could tell by your kind face. You are a morning lover. The beetles made Grasshopper a wreath of flowers. They gave him a sign that said, morning is tops. Now they said, Grasshopper is in our club. When does the clover sparkle with dew? Asked a beetle. In the morning, cried all the other beetles. When is the sunshine yellow and new? Asked the beetle. In the morning, cried all the other beetles. They turned somersaults and stood on their heads. They danced and sang, M-O-R-N-I-N-G spells morning. I love afternoon too, said Grasshopper. The beetles stopped singing and dancing. What did you say, they asked? I said that I loved afternoon, said Grasshopper. All the beetles were quiet. And night is also very nice, said Grasshopper. Stupid, said a beetle. He grabbed the wreath of flowers. Dummy, said another beetle. He snatched the sign from Grasshopper. Anyone who loves afternoon and night can never, never be in our club, said a third beetle. Up with morning, shouted all the beetles. They waved their signs and marched away. Grasshopper was alone. He saw the yellow sunshine. He saw the dew sparkling on the clover, and he went on down the road. You've been listening to CICK News. If you have any hot tips or news stories you think we should cover, contact us at CICKNews at smithersradio.com or follow us on Facebook at CICK News. CSK News is made possible by the Government of Canada and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the only organization mandated to financially supporting campus and community radio stations across Canada. You can also catch our fresh shows each week at theskina.com or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to our producer Pam Hassan and all of our roving reporters, I'm Dan Messick. Thanks for listening. <laughs>